0: Hello welcome to my podcast. I am very excited today to be talking with Scott Nugent. Scott, I came across you for the first time through your interviews in Matt Walsh's new film, What is a Woman? Now, I thought the film overall was really excellent by asking one simple question. It disrupts transgender dogma. And I thought you came across... So well. One of my observations in the film was that people who were telling the truth, and that's namely you and, and the psychiatrist, but you know, some others, they you seemed you seemed really at ease. There's an authenticity, a rawness, uh, you know, a realness. And then there's the other people who were evading the questions who came across as really kind of tense and you could almost see them thinking ahead, like, what am I going to say? What am I going to say next? And out of everyone in the film, I think people will probably connect with you the most because you just came across as so authentic and emotional. So I'm going to start off by urging everyone to see the film so you know, know what we're talking about. What is a woman? It's on the Daily Wire website now. But let's start with Scott. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, you know, your for, for people who haven't seen the film and don't know you, your sex, your gender or whatever language you'd use to describe that and why you were in the film, What is a Woman?
1: Sure. Um, First of all, I, I mean, I told you before you recorded, I absolutely, absolutely love your photography. I think you were just this shit. I really do. Um, So I'm sorry. I was thinking about that. You want to you asked me what I think about what am I a male or it, what I'm sorry. Yeah, well, how would, how would you
0: describe your sex, your gender, and tell us why you were in the film, why you were in okay. what is a woman?
1: Yeah. My, my, my gender is it. Gender is biological, right. Or, or sex is biological. So I'm, I'm a biological female. Now I've thrown a, a wrench into the system and I call it's kind of like a modified version of a female, right. Uh, reality is, is kind of reality, but at this time in my life, I really just don't care what people call me or don't, don't call me. The only thing I'm concerned about is is making sure our kids are safe. So, I mean, it doesn't bother me. If people call me she or he or whatever. And I, and I think that unfortunately in the, in the transgender community, we seem to be, uh, obsessed with, with pronouns, but what, what they forget is that it's a, it's a choice to, to medically transition so asking somebody to jump into something that you've decided to do to make you feel comfortable is is quite narcissistic so whatever anybody wants to call me is fine
0: okay so you describe your sex
1: as biologically female which is of course accurate but do you call yourself a man or a trans man you know i I get a lot of flack from this because I do call myself a trans man and I'll explain why I call myself a trans man because I will never, ever be who I was. And unfortunately we seem to think that, um, you know, both sides are kind of, I think are (laughs) kind of fucked, which is, you know, you have the transgender side who thinks that, uh, you can, you know, snap back to being, you know, after taking hormones for a certain period of time, you can snap back to who you were. It's no big deal. And then you have the other side saying that, uh, you know, it's not reversible. And then when somebody wants to detrans, people think seem to think that it's, you know, snap and you're back and forth. It doesn't matter if I take testosterone or estrogen or take nothing for the rest of my life. I will never, ever, ever look like who I was again. And unfortunately we have, you know, one side's kind of lifting detrans or saying, Hey, look, they pass. And then we have, you know, the, the trans side going, Oh, look, this person passes. You can't tell. And we're so, we're so involved in, in how people look and how people. Past that, that, we're not trying to figure out what's going on on the inside. You know, the detransitioners, the, the you, know, you raise them up and go, Hey, look. And everybody points to them and goes, See, I was right. See, I was right. Well, you're not there when the lights go down. I'm there. And how they want to transition back or they want to kill themselves, want to back. It seems like everybody's so caught up in, in how people look or being right that we're forgetting about the, the person in the middle, right? Mm, well,
0: no, I'm with you. I have to say, when I inter- interviewed those women for the detransitioners, project it was um you know one hand they were very brave they're brave to take part in that project and talk to me yeah. and they were incredibly honest but on the other hand there was a fragility there that I've I've rarely come across mm-hmm. because these are irrevocable changes mm-hmm. and are. and one of one of the people I'm going to say people because although she is biologically female and she wanted to detransition. She subsequently decided she couldn't and would stay a he because like you say, you know, whatever you do, you know, whichever hormones you take, you cannot actually revert your body back. Now, in her case, she had had um, breast removal, hysterectomy, ovaries removed, taken hormones and had mm-hmm. phalloplasty. So you can't actually go back. You, you, you can't rewind it. No, and and at some point you have she to decided it, it was, You know, she couldn't go through all the operations because what would would she end up with? She'd end up with a cosmetic approximation and it wouldn't be the real thing. So the way you talk about it, it makes me wonder if it's something you've considered then. Have you had
1: regrets about transition? Well, sure. And I... there's so many people, especially when when you do this kind of thing, you get attacked from all sides. And unfortunately I, I, and fortunately, I guess I I don't consider myself in any part of society. I've been attacked by all of them. And that, that, that gives me the, um, the anonymity to do and say what I really, really, really feel. And um, of course I have, do I regret transitioning? People seem to think that they know who I am. And in the beginning of when I did podcasts, you know, I said that, you know, it, it, It helped me. And and you know what? Medical transition in in some way did. I have got an alpha personality. And before I I let everybody know that I was transgender, I mean, I was introduced to my my uh, wife's family as as a, a man. Now, they they knew that she had an affair with a woman and I was the lesbian devil at that point. But they didn't know that Scott was Kelly. So I, you know, I I got Mm -hmm. to meet people as as a a biological man and and get to understand, you know, what that would feel like. And and the sad part of it is, is that is those two years were the most tumultuous emotionally for me, but they were also the happiest. I mean, I fit in everything uh, from 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 that perspective. And so people seem to think that. you know, it's, it's black or white. And unfortunately it's not, there are some things before I came out as transgender, just people thought I was a biological male. I really, really fit. I really, I really did, but not inside my brain because I always knew in the back that if they knew who I was, the way that I was treated would be differently. So that's a complete mind fuck constantly, constantly, and constantly. So when, when you kind of go into life as, as a lie, it, it never really sits. It never really sits right. So from a perspective of, of my personality, I fit more as a male. So it did help with that. Now, what's the problem? Is the problem me or is it that we have this this rigid uh, box of what females are and what they aren't? And people seem to laugh about this, but it's the truth. I've always been this person, even when I looked like, you know, even when I was looked like Kelly. Um, I've always known how to carry myself. I was never a butch woman. I mean, my grandmother put me through finishing school twice. I mean, I was because I, I failed the first time. And, and you know, my grandma's no new woman's not going to finish passing school. So I had to do it again. And so f- from that point of view, I knew how, how to how to handle myself. So from a, a look standpoint, I could walk into a boardroom and nobody would say anything. But the first thing out of my mouth would be, uh, guys, we could talk about who we fucked later. We really need to get down, sit down, shut the fuck up. Where's the? I mean, that was me, and so that mm-hmm. didn't really fit with with how I looked, and so I was always on the outside with that. When I medically transitioned, I fit on that side, but not really. So was it that I needed to change, or maybe we need to to rearrange that box to be a little bit wider? I think we need mm-hmm. to rearrange that box to be a little bit wider. How we do that, I don't know, um, but You know, as the process goes along, you realize that that you fixed nothing medical transition doesn't fix anything on the inside, inside jobs, emotional jobs, you you work from the inside out you don't work from the outside in and so unfortunately. The reason why I believe the only long term study, seven to 10 years, says that uh, transgender people, medically transitioned people are more likely to commit suicide seven to 10 years after, not before. And I think it's because of that, because you live in a fantasy. You kind of go through that process. You're like, hey, I kind of fit a little bit better. And then you go, yeah, but it's not real. And um, so you have to come to that, come to that conclusion. Would I medically transition again? I think that's the ultimate question. No, I would not. Absolutely not. Unequivocally would not would not would not mm. i would have embraced who i was which was a badass woman
0: mm. can i describe something i'm feeling it's it's going to be a tricky thing to describe but i've come across it now with several trans people who are very very cognizant of the process and who they are you know you said nobody really knows who you are inside or you know when the lights go off and i am absolutely aware that you are biologically female Mm-hmm. I'm also absolutely aware you transitioned to be a trans man and your appearance is male. But when I look at you, I, you, I know you're female. Do you know how it you do it now? When, but when look? I look when I when I look at you, you look male, but I'm also aware you're female. And it does something really interesting. I see you very much purely as a man. Well, no, I see you as a man, but I feel you as a human. Oh yeah it, yeah. it's it's really hard to explain i had this with the trans woman who was in 100 vaginas totally looks female 100 okay yeah yeah i did a film called i did a film called 100 vaginas and it was oh my based god i'm so my sorry i don't
1: know what that was that's hilarious okay go ahead i'm
0: gonna i'm gonna send you details and it was okay. based on a book called womanhood the fair reality i'm gonna show you the book now nobody listening can see this but i'm holding up the book to show scott so there's yeah. the cover, right? Get, are you ready for some explicit photographs? I have to come kind of, oh, kind of get your consent for yes, you. <laughs> okay, we're gonna just i just gonna get your consent before I show you, because this is explicit. So I photographed women from the front and also yep. their vulva, and then they told their story in their own words.
1: Uh huh. Okay. Okay. And yeah. so uh, there was a trans. That wasn't woman. what I was expecting, but go ahead. No,
0: there was a trans woman in the project, and so so she and I. I feel very comfortable using female pronouns for as well. You know she really passed as female, but was completely upfront about saying she was male. She was a man who transitioned to look as much like a woman as possible and very open about everything that was going on, you know, under the bonnet psychologically, as well as physically. And it made me acutely aware of her as simply being human. Human. And it's funny how I can have this feeling with trans people who are so, you know, done so much work, psychological work around this, And yet all the furore in the transgender debate has lost so much humanity. You know, like you were saying, it's very polarised. People shout at the detransitioners. They shout at the trans activists. I just interviewed Matt Walsh and it seemed I managed to simultaneously upset women and men. I Mm -hmm. I upset the men who think that women should just make a sandwich, you know, piss off, get back and make a sandwich, you know, who love the gender roles. And then I upset feminists who believe Matt Walsh doesn't really have the right to make that film or want to criticise everything about his personal beliefs. Although his personal beliefs didn't really seep into the film too much, apart from quite a sexist portrayal of gender in a way. So, you know, it's so easy to upset everybody in this. And yet, right at the centre of it, there are people who display and emanate... Pure humanity, and you come Just across humor. as one. Yeah, you come across as one of those people to me, and I, I really oh, think you. this needs this needs a lot more, a lot more of that. And it's why I really wanted to interview mm-hmm. you. You were so raw in the film. I mean, what what's um, what's the reaction to the film being like for you?
1: You know, um, the the whole life, the whole. I mean, I to give you to give you a, a little bit of background, and I think maybe why people um, connect with me a little bit is. I, you know, activism is something that I got into because I feel like I had to. I, I mean, I made it kind of a deal with um, a deal with God or the universe or or, or whatever. Uh, but I, I never I never wanted to be an activist. I never was into politics. Um, you know, my my ex-wife used to say, you know, you need to watch news. You're too ignorant. And she just wanted to be able to, you know, have a conversation with with people at a dinner party and, and make them think that she was smart. And I used to say listen, Lynette, if I ever start watching the news, it's because I'm going to be fucking in it. You know, I'm not going to watch the news and, and you know, just pretend I'm smarter, this and that, because they're not telling the truth anyways. So that's that's where I come from, uh, from, from that point of view. But there was a time uh, that I was very, very sick for, for about 17 months. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. I had uh, infection after infection. I had like an IV, uh, like they putting cancer patients, I, 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 you know, you have to have insurance here at the United States for anybody to look at you. The only doctors that could help me were the ones that, you know, hurt me in the first place. I had to get doctors on the outside of the state. So I had to work with infections and, and it was, you know, I, I didn't sleep. It was one infection after another. It was hospital visit, hospital visit, nobody could figure out what was wrong with me. And so there was, a, there was a point at which I knew that I was going to die. I mean, I knew I was on my way out. I mean, I I couldn't sleep. I couldn't nothing and um, lost everything getting kicked out of the apartment. And and I woke up in my own urine and blood from the uh, phalloplasty. And I just lost it and just said, you know, if I can be here for my kids, then then I will out what I thought would be without the surgery. And so the passion that people see about me is uh, my kids are tied to this. So if I quit before and I slowly started to realize that it was about children, you know, it was about children that I needed to talk about. So that became that became the thing that was that that was important to me. So the, the passion that you see, it's my three kids is what it is. Um, so for me, activism, I, I never really knew anybody. In fact, the, the trailer when the trailer came out for What is a Woman? Um, you know, somebody wrote me and I swear to God, it, it was a, a Canadian mom that I just absolutely loved to death. She goes, Oh, I just saw you in the trailer with Matt Walsh. He's so famous. You're going to love him. This and that. And I my my email back was who the fuck's Matt? Um, I didn't know. I don't care about that stuff. I really don't. And so, um, so for me, that was what I'm doing is not based on anything other than the promise that I, that I made with the universe that I made with God. So I think that might be, might be a connection. I, I don't like doing this stuff. Um, like I forgot your, you know, podcast. I have probably about 30 different interviews. You're the first one I've done in, in two weeks. I don't like doing it. And the only reason why, cause I love your pictures. Um, but for me, it's a sincerity thing. It is, it is a true sincerity that what is happening to kids is, is horrible. And when you sit in the place that I put myself, at. What you said about Matt is, is um, you piss off everybody. I don't belong to any community. I don't belong to a trans community. I don't belong to feminist community. All the people on the outskirts seem to admire what I do, but it's people that are in that society who have that, that role within that society and have to fit into that society because that is what lifts them up as an activist. I piss those people off. The people underneath it, the sincere people can, can see it and, and and it's the reason why one of my good friends is, is Michael Brown. He's an evangelical. You know, we have conversations constantly uh, about different things, about homosexuality. And I tell him he's fucked and he tells me he thinks I'm wrong and we move on from there. And and that's what needs to happen. But it's not happening. And what Matt did was Matt did that in a way with humor. Right. He, he pulled people in to, to see things from from a humanity standpoint. And then he popped in kind of the reality of it. And, and before my interview uh, in New York, it was more of a movie that was on uh, ideology. It was more of, of gender ideology. After the interview with me, I believe Eve kind of pulled in to be a little bit more about kids because people don't realize w- what's happening um, mm-hmm. to children. So I think that that is why it's kind of, connected with people is because it it comes from a, a a real place. Nobody's attacking anybody. Matt's not attacking anybody. You know, and he listened and the thing that that I really admire about him and believe me if I thought he was an asshole I I wouldn't say anything or I would tell you. But every time he does an interview, every time he talks about one of my talk tracks. I mean, I, I sent his team so much stuff. I could just imagine them working and going, we just got another email from Scott. Will somebody text him and tell him we got he's going to start blowing up our oh he did it. Here he goes. He's calling. Um and I did for almost you know half a year. What I didn't realize was that he listened to me. He listened to everything. He might not have responded or or whatever, but he listened. And when he talks about my talk tracks, he always goes, scott nugent people don't do that people call me from all over the place i work with supreme court attorneys in australia and united states all the talk tracks are all theirs he's the only one that says this is what scott says i admire that Mm
0: -hmm. now you've watched the film back is there anything because you know not everything can get into a film there's always lots that ends up on the cutting floor is there anything that you said that was cut that you wish had been included i haven't watched it. Haven't you? Mm-mm. Do you not like watching yourself back? I know what that's Mm-mm. like.
1: No, I don't. I don't like doing this stuff. I don't. <sighs>
0: it's like a mission. It's like you like you say it's a mission. It's your promise, so I you're just I, kind of I, suffering through it, like a ring yeah. of fire.
1: The the PTSD that I've experienced from um, medical transition. The one thing that did get cut off of off of the uh, film was actually I I lost it a lot worse than and what you see in the film, they were very, very nice to me, but I lost it. And I lost it when they started talking about kids. Um, and I admitted that um, I hadn't left my house for three years. Since this interview, this is the first time I left my house and I took every I took all my kids. Um, and, you know, even before the interview, I I walked out of the um, I walked out of the hotel um, and my kids are like, hey, do a good job. You got it. You got it. And, and I was like, fuck this. I'm not doing this. So I, I walked back up the stairway and there my daughter is what are you doing? I was going to go get my jacket. No, 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 you weren't. You're going to quit. And she, you know, hops me back down into the Uber and then shuts the door. So I had to go. So it was really hard for me. So, but I did it and I did it because I made that promise. Right. And my Mm -hmm. kids are tied to it. So what they didn't show was me losing it at the end, admitting that I hadn't left my house for three years. And the first time I leave my house is to come to New York to try to save other people's kids. And I got angry at all of them I every single person in the room and they didn't show this I thought they would because it would have been great TV Um, I shamed sobbing I shamed everyone you know I said shame on you Matt you're in journalism for not talking about kids and shame on you Justin for not doing anything and shame on you Sarah and uh, you know everybody was in tears at at the end Um, and once they realized that nobody knew that I didn't tell anybody that I haven't left my house for three years but yeah let's go to New York
0: yeah, well, they it, they edited you in a very decent way to make sure that you wouldn't feel too exposed and vulnerable then. And I mm-hmm. hope this feels OK for you. Of course, it's not going to be listened to by as many people as watch the film. And it's uh, it's always not it's not the same when it's a podcast. There's kind of an intimacy to it. But it is. I Yeah. I mean, I had no idea. Are you would you feel comfortable saying more about why you didn't leave your house for three years?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um... You know, I think that we don't talk about the emotional side of, of medical transitioning. We, we don't speak about um, it's it's a it's a brain fuck. I, I, every time I walk by the mirror, I kind of have to look and double look. And sometimes I go, who the fuck is that? Oh, that's me. Um, and so and the thing is, is that you see a man. There's no there's no way I'm going to walk into up to anybody looking like this and somebody's going to go. Hey, what's going on, ma'am? Can I help you? They're not going to. And so, on the inside, when you've been programmed to that you are somebody else, it kind of it dances around. So, from that perspective, it's hard. And so, I found myself kind of isolating, even when I was was in that process, not really able to um, not really able to talk about it. But the the trauma that I experienced after the phalloplasty, I don't think people understand the depth of it. It was. You know, seven days after the surgery, um, I started to have chest pain and and stuff like that. My mom called, you know, Doctor Crane, give him another pain pill, fucking idiot. Um, and within thirty minutes, I was in a helicopter, you know, to to Dallas. And and I I heard the conversation. The conversation was, this guy's either going to die in the helicopter. <laughs> Or he's going to die in, or he's going to die at the other hospital if we let him have the helicopter. Or he's going to die in the ambulance ride to, to Dallas. Either or, where do you want him to go? And I remember thinking to myself, "Fuck you, I ain't dying. I got three kids." Um, and so I had a huge pulmonary embolism, uh, you know, in the helicopter that induced a stress heart attack. You know, um, but before all this, I was in shape, ate well. You know, I I think I've you know kind of let myself go with this, but. Um, I think that's why I lived, but it was a huge, huge uh, thing. So I was in the hospital, out of the hospital. Then I started not to feel good again. I started to have fistulas, you know, peeing out of the wrong areas. Again, Dr. Crane's like, oh my God, I wish other people would, uh, you know, recover like you. You're doing so great. Really? Well, what's this yellow thing in my arm? How about this? This is kind of warm right here. No, you're great. And so, you know, next day later, I was in another ambulance, you know, to Dallas with a sepsis surgery. And then when I was in the hospital, I had, a, a you know, an infectious wound person come out and go, you know, that that's a, a that's a ligament sticking through your arm. I was like, no, I had no idea. Uh, can you do it at that time? I was like, I don't want Dr. Crane to touch me. Uh, nope. You're going to have to go to the same person. And so then I had to have surgery on my arm uh, again. So it was it was three weeks of of, you know, all of this. And then after that happened, then. What happened was 17 months of, of people not listening to me and laughing at me, going from ER to ER, not being able to keep my job, losing my insurance, you know, my wife leaving me, uh, all the money gone. Uh, you know, I mean, to the point where, you know, I couldn't take care of my kids. I had to move, like, a, you know, with all of this. Um, and so then I would go from hospital to hospital, and I would tell, and even my family was like, "What the hell's wrong? You're fine. You know, you're just having trauma from." From what happened you, no, know, I'm not. Uh, then losing insurance and then having to get insurance, and then you know, the pain of all of it, it was one infection after another after another after another. If you've had a bacteria infection, it really messes with you. I couldn't sleep. Um, but I had to work. I, I knew that I had to work to get insurance to do this. So it was 17 months of going into the hospital and, and the doctor saying, I don't know what's wrong with you, but you're not dying right now, so you need to go home. Uh, you need to go to a specialist here. You don't have insurance. Well, we can't help you here. So you have to go here. And so it was, you know, it was it was 17 months of I am fucking dying and nobody gives a shit and everybody laughs at me. Um, and who so was it- laughing at you. Scott?
0: He was laughing.
1: With a hospital, you know, you would go to the hospital, which I get, you know, whatever. You know, you'd hear the little snickers like, "Yo, that's a transmitter. <laughs> they thought that I was, you know, faking it or, or the pain or, or whatever. It was, it was an enormous amount of pain. I couldn't sleep uh, without like three shots of vodka and you know, eight Benadryl or something. I mean, I couldn't sleep. I was hallucinating and then I had to work. I mean, I'm, there was one time at, I was selling windows to, to some lady who was a nurse. I had blood running down my leg. And uh, she goes, she looks at me and she goes, you know, that you're not well, right. And I just started bawling. I'll never forget that her and her husband came and, you know, like, just embraced me and, and, uh, you know, why they were hugging me. I'm like, does that mean you're going to buy the windows? Um, (laughs) You know, so, um, so it it was, it was basically, I, in 17 months, I lost everything, absolutely everything Mm -hmm. uh, until I had my my ex who I, I had my children with, we were together for about 13 years, also my really good friend. She uh, finally, she came over to see me and I was in the apartment I was getting evicted from. And she goes, you're not doing well. And she pretty much just like picked me up and put me in her basement. And that's where I've been for, for two and a half years and uh, doing this, so.
0: And how are you feeling now physically?
1: I, I, I just, I had an infection during the uh, interview. <laughs> the, what is a woman? I look like hell. Um, I still get infections. I get infections probably once or twice a year. Um, and I and I talked to this about with another trans lady in, in the UK, her name's Claudia, who who does the same thing. Someday the antibiotics aren't gonna work. They're not. And so this this is a death sentence for me. And I don't think people realize that. People think it's a joke. It's not a joke. Um so so physically I'm I'm doing better. I think seeing myself on what is a woman and how fat I was, I was kind of like, yeah, we need to kind of do something with that. But uh, it, it's a progress. I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm, I'm jumping, uh, skipping through the daisies. No, not not at all. So
0: how I mean, how common or uncommon is
1: your type of physical recovery from a phalloplasty? Well, the heart attack and pulmonary embolism is kind of on the dramatic side. Right. Uh, mm. But testosterone in itself, if you think about it, testosterone causes more he- heart disease with with males. Right. Uh, males have. So it increases um, heart disease. It actually thickens blood. No shit. Um, so there's things like that, that that are common within. And that's what I don't think people understand. The reason why I'm so angry is that we, we don't know what happens to a genetic female, organic genetic female, what happens when we refuse to allow them to go through uh, natural puberty and then we dose them with you know, opposite hormones, a lot of people don't realize when you start to medically transition, you have a body that's producing the hormone to which your bio, biology is, but you have to overdose it with the other one, and they fight. And so it's not like a normal amount of, of hormones, it's, it's a huge amount of hormones. And then on top of it, you know, you get the doctors that say, well, we really don't know how much to fucking give you. It's just kind of a trial and error. So it is all so experimental. Nobody, nobody realizes that. So you think it's, 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 you know, trans it's not, you know, when you're standing in front of a, a grocery store and you've done what I've done and you see, you know, vitamins, male vitamins, female vitamins, you go, oh, which, what the fuck what do I take? We don't know. And so, mm-hmm. but we're allowing that for children. And I think the thing that that makes me the angriest is through this process. Now I do think that some people do benefit from medical transition. The illusion of the opposite sex walking with a little bit of ease, it does help some people. It's not life-saving and the amount of people that it does help is so much significantly lower than what people think it is. It's ridiculously low. If it was like 50-50, it would be like you know, we need to figure out why that 50% is everybody deserves to have some comfort in, in their life. It's so tipped. Scott,
0: it's- where do you, where do you get that from? Is that just from your own anecdotal experience? Cause I, I, as far as I understand, there isn't really any good data capture on how people feel post transition. I haven't been able to find any myself anyway. So what, There's- what are you basing your opinion on?
1: Well, there's one study, the Swedish study that was mm. done from 1973 to two, uh, 2003 that followed 324 medically transitioned adults, and what they found is what what we call the the suicide edge, which in w- within the trans community, which is seven to ten years after medical transition is is when you uh, we become most suicidal. It is a long process. the The transition is a long process, and it. And mentally, and this is another thing that irritates me, is that the people that are susceptible to it are the type of kids. Do you have kids? I do. Okay. If you've ever had a child that kind of doesn't fit or is laughed at or you know, they're going to be fucking awesome when they're adults, but when they're kids, they're just kind of, you know, they're maybe too smart. They're mentally gifted, or maybe they have anxiety. So they're able to touch people's emotions a little bit more, or maybe they're same-sex attracted, uh, and, or, you know, all autistic, all the things that, you know, as their mom, as their parent, you know, how awesome they are. But unfortunately, uh, childhood is horrid for those people, right? So those are the people that are, that are pointed Towards transgenderism, and so what you're telling somebody is that you know at 12 years old, when the only thing that you want to do is fit in, you're telling that 12 year old that they have a cure for you not fitting in. It's not it's not transgender stuff. It's not it's not you know LGBTQYSCP whatever. It is basically that you're looking at that 12 year old and you're saying that there's something wrong with you, and we can fix it. Um, and so then you have that process, you have that seven to 10 year process where, you know, then that child starts on puberty blockers and, and it doesn't fix anything, but in their mind, they're like, well, you know what? I still, I still have to get on uh, cross-sex hormones. That's when I'm going to feel better. And then you start on cross-sex hormones and then that doesn't really help. And then you kind of go, yeah, but people are misgendering me. So it's their fault that this doesn't feel better. And then you go through the top surgery and then you go, okay after top surgeries when I'm going to feel better. And then you get through all of it and you realize that happiness is an inside job. And, uh, you know, hopefully medical transition does help you in certain ways fit in a little bit. And it did with me, but it was a lie. And so there's all these things that you, that you have to come to terms with. And so it is an, an enormous emotional energy that goes into this. And it's a total emotional lie that we're telling these 12 year olds, because the mm-hmm. truth is, is that 67% of these girls would grow up to be same sex attracted 43% your travstock stock, whatever I say it wrong, you know, came out with that study 43% of boys would grow up to be, uh, you know, homosexual boys. And, and so here's the brain fuck is that the first time in history, the only people that are truly fighting for same sex k- attracted kids are evangelicals now go smoke that you know the evangelicals are the only ones you know kneeling well, down and Also,
0: and also uh you know there are other communities also no there are for, there are you yeah, know absolutely. um certainly here in the uk definitely very much gender critical feminists
1: oh, i know that you absolutely absolutely Please don't say. I do know that, but I guess not <laughs> upset saying, the feminists. God, no, please. No, I know. God, we I know don't that.
0: want to do that. No, no, I, I, it,
1: it's just the correlation, basically. That you know, I don't think Christians know what they're fighting for. Gender critical feminists are amazing with what they've done with this, but I don't think the Chris. I tell this to Michael all the time. You know, you're fighting for for uh, gay boys and and I know. Time. I get. I Michael. get the irony. I get Yeah, the and, and he goes, "No, no, yeah, no, 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 you are." You are, you're, yeah. you're, you're kneeling down to Bobby and saying, Bobby, just because you're attracted to boys doesn't mean you're a girl. And so, um, you know, so the irony is, is something, but yeah, feminist, oh. basically it is feminist and, and religious people that are the only feminist ones and religious out there. people,
0: yeah. which is, you know, for some on each side, an uneasy alliance, um, you know, mm-hmm. hands having to reach a long way across a cavernous aisle, which is why partly there's been such a backlash to Matt's film, you know, it's, um, it isn't easy for everybody to to work together when their background issues are so different. So I want, I want to kind of- we to adult of,
1: better. I always say that we have to adult better. We do not adult better. We have to work with people that we don't agree with. There is no human being on the face of the earth that agrees with me 100%. That doesn't mean that 100% of the people I treat like shit and I don't listen to. I have well, to I'm, adult better. You do. I'm we do, all do. I do
0: agree with you and the thing is you were talking about how you don't really fit in with any of the activist groups this is something that I've experienced as well once you've once you've moved from in-group to out-group or if you've always had some experience being in the out-group it's different it changes you and it's uncomfortable it's definitely uncomfortable to be pushed into the into the outside of a group Mm -hmm. but As long as you go with it and you get used to this discomfort, it gives you the strength to do it again. And you can end up in a new in-group of out-groupers, if this this makes sense. Um, But it is sometimes very difficult for people to cope with that discomfort in the first place. You know, you talked before about happiness being an inside job. And I think that that's so important. And as you, you seem to know, and I know it's really a lifetime's work to get there. You know, there aren't quick fixes to happiness, not, not, not legal ones, not real ones, not ones that don't borrow on the next day and give you a hangover anyway. So have you got advice for any young people who are questioning their gender or the parents of gender dysphoric youth advice for anyone in general about this project of happiness being an inside job?
1: Well, I think it's it's all a balance, right? There is no black and white. There is no black and white uh, uh, with this. But I the, the one message that I would like to get across in a, in a very, very loving way is that medical transition is, it's cosmetic surgery. It doesn't fix anything. It's no different than um, a woman getting a facelift or a boob job or deciding to put fake eyelashes on. It's cosmetic. And Adults need to be able to decide that, but they need to decide that with all the complications of it being upfront. They need to know that it's not going to fix anything. You need to be happy on the inside first. And so that's why I think we have so many transgender people that are so ridiculous in um, activism where you you laugh at them and I laugh at them. But the truth is, is that they really want what they're saying to be true, to, to be to be accurate, Um, you know, that, that it wasn't their fault that they were born in the wrong body. This is not a choice. This is, you know, this is something that I'm a victim of being born in the wrong body. And, And that way it eliminates them from having to do that work. But that inside work is key. That's the key to happiness is basically sitting back and saying, for me, what I've been trying to do for the last couple of years is, Hey, I made a decision. Um, I made a decision that I can't change. So what can I do with that decision to move forward? What can I do to be a better person? What can I do to help other people? How can I help children? How can I stand out? And and what I found is that I'm very comfortable on the outside. I've never fit in on anything. I, I mean, I started school super early. I, you know, was never the same age. You know, even as a lesbian, I was, you know, like all dolled up, like my family. Um, You know, so I never looked like that. Uh, I just I never fit in, and so for me it's comfortable for me not fitting in. So if you hate me, that's okay. If you hate me, that's okay. If you hate me, that's okay. Um, I'm going to tell truth, but that needs to be where everybody else is at. That that hey, listen, I made a decision to medically transition. I made that decision for me because it's gonna it's gonna ease some comfort for me. I really feel comfortable with these clothes. I really feel comfortable presented as as this sex. I know that I'm not. I will never be. Uh, This is my decision. I hope that you, you know, honor it and ask and follow in the pronouns when I start looking and hearing like that. But I, I wish people could get to that point where they could step back and say, this was a decision that I made. These are the benefits that I made. I know all the consequences of it. And I've decided to do it anyways. We're definitely not there yet. And we're not there yet because the medical industry has found a new billion trillion dollar industry. You want to know uh, something that's really kind of interesting?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Um, there, there was a study that, that Travis talk. I always say that wrong. Is it Travis? Tra- it's Tavistock. 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 Okay. Tavistock. Um, <laughs> Tavistock. Tav, Tav, Tavstock. Tavistock. There you go. That's it. <laughs> um, and then. There, there was also, which I think is interesting, is Texas is, do you know Texas is a worldwide hub for uh, childhood medical transitioning? Do you know that?
0: Yeah.
1: The yeah. governor that just came out and said medical transitioning is uh, child abuse. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many people that stopped from medically transitioning their kids? Ooh. None. Ooh. None. Okay. Um, the governor that also took $2.4 million last year from gender clinics accepted a $250,000 check four days before bills hit the floor that would have made it illegal for kids to medically transition. And Texas is the leading state for gender clinics in the world. That's where they fly to. That's our governor. Right. Okay, so it's, it's, it, it's about money. Um, mm. But anyways, there was a study that came out and it, and it mirrors the same thing as, as Travis Talk, which is uh, about a 4,000% increase in the children who who are claiming to be transgender and in dire need of of medical transition. Um, If nothing changes from those numbers with with Travstock, and and I I challenge people. I had New York attorneys challenge me on my numbers. Go for it. Um, If you take that number and you take that number and say that, hey, you know what? Nothing else changes from this point on. Nobody is going, the number's not going to go up with the kids that are medically transitioning, if we're gonna stay just baseline, nothing else changes. The same amount of kids that are saying they're trans and medically transitioning is the same amount that's gonna be next year, following year, following year, following year, following year. In 20 years, 18 to 22% of the population is gonna be transgender and taking synthetic hormones. So you have to say, hmm, who does that benefit? And then you, then you, you know, you go backwards on that and you go, well, wait a second, who benefit? Well, pharma benefits from that. How much do they benefit? You know, on a gross profit, we're talking about $1.3 million per child in a lifetime. And, 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 And we're talking about projected. So if they start medical transition and they're on puberty blockers, and they go on cross sex hormones, and they get all their, you know, reproductive stuff out, which they're wanting to do. They will rely on that for the rest of their life in a time where, you know, Netflix is sitting in boardrooms trying to figure out how they can get one or two dollars more a month. That's that's the business model. Right. How much am I going to make in a year? How much am I going to make in two years so I can budget around that with marketing and PR and all that kind of stuff? Well. do, Do people not understand how much money this is? this is an enormous amount of money and we're not even we're not even talking we're not talking about puberty blockers that are eight times more profitable when they're when they're prescribed to kids they go from $14,000 a year to about $55,000 a year and that's puberty blockers that the company that was deemed a criminal enterprise in 2003 Lupron for false advertising and bribery the government, our government said that you guys are a criminal enterprise. They paid $874 million in fines higher than the Oxycontin scandal. This is the company that's telling our, telling parents this is completely reversible. The truth is, is that nobody knows and they don't want to run tests because as soon as they ran tests and studies, there's no doctor in the world that would sign on that and go, yep, mm. that's safe. Scott, you, uh, you know, you're, you're obviously so passionate
0: about this and you have the personal experience behind it. Um, if, I, if I were to ask you to pick, you know, one priority for
1: gender questioning youth, what would it be? I think if um, the one thing that I would want to get across to parents is that if your child Is gender uh, questioning there's a deeper problem and that deeper the percentage is is going to be that they don't fit in that there's something on the inside that's not the puzzles not maxing, you know matching within they're not, they don't feel safe in our society for some reason they don't feel safe. And um, what I would tell the parents is that focus on that. Your kids don't feel like they belong. And you know what people that don't belong in childhood, they move mountains as adults. Those are the, those are the people that, that think differently than that start businesses that nobody ever started, that, you know, come up with solutions, the engineers, the this and that. The people that fit will always continue to fit in, in society, but they don't really do anything miraculous. If you talk to anybody that changes anything in the world, it's those kids that we're telling that something wrong with them. And what I would tell the parents is that to focus on that, to celebrate that, that you don't feel like you fit. Well, thank God you don't, because here's the reality of not fitting. It means that you have the opportunity to do some really great things. You think outside of the box of everybody else and to celebrate that and and don't pull that away as some kind of religious or some kind of something and say that oh you were born in the body just go that makes sense that you don't feel like you you know you fit and you know what sister brother you could medically transition and find comfort in that but do the work first and the work first as a child is to grow up happy and healthy You need to do that investigation and find out what that really is, because it's not all unicorn farts and glitter bombs. And what we need to do as a family is celebrate the fact that you don't fit and to change that narrative. And, you know, when they come back, you know, from school, just go, hey, did you have a good day? Was everybody your friend? Or, you know, they come back and go, hey, did everybody ignore you, not listen to you today Yep, Right on. It means you still don't fit. You change the narrative to, to something that's negative, because that's the people that were medically transitioning are, are, are people that, that, that don't fit. And, and here's the really scary part of it, Laura, is the time frame that I had a, as a child where I didn't fit. I call it thick skin. I developed a thick skin. Uh, and I learned how to deal with that. And so as an adult, I had that thick skin. So, you know, if a feminist, which we're not going to say who writes me something, tells me I'm a total piece of shit, it kind of, you know, kind of goes, you know, I'm like, oh, God, that hurts. But it kind of washes off because I've learned how to deal with that. These kids were lying to these kids. We're telling them that there's a cure for not fitting and then also robbing them of the time to create that thick skin. So when they hit about 19, 20 years old, the seven to 10 year mark, and they realize that it didn't help anything, then they're falling into the hands of the D-trans thing, of lifting, you know, the D-trans thing, like, look, these are the D-trans, and then those those lights go off. And then that's when we have problems, right? You know, even um, Abigail Schreier and I, talked about years ago when she was writing the book that that the people that we are the most frightened for are the detrans people um, because they're the people that were susceptible to the lie in the first place. And then they're being lied to again with the detransitioning. There's no way that I'm ever going to look like a woman and people think I'm supposed to detrans. What am I supposed to do Go to the grocery store and somebody says, uh, sir, that's ma'am for the rest of my life. Right. Um, so at some point. We have to do the hard work as adults, right? We have to do the hard work and tell them that you, medically transitioned, you will never, ever, ever, ever look and sound like a female again. Let's deal with that. Now, if you want to detransition, here's the reality of it. This isn't going to change. That's not going to change. This is going to change. That's not going to change. You're not going to have kids or whatever. And so when are we going to start giving these, these kids, these children, the reality? You've dealt with detransition. Tell me that they don't think about transitioning back and back and forth and back and forth. It's a horrid thing that we're doing to these kids all the way around detransition pushing transition pushing nobody is loving these children nobody is allowing them to with love to gain that thick skin to say hey you know what you're going to feel like shit for a couple of years but it's going to get better
0: mm. Scott I think that's um that's a good place for us to finish because I really like what you've said about happiness being an inside job but even more than that the fact that you're one of the rare people who will celebrate the the outlier and the person who doesn't fit in. Because I agree, they, we, dare I say, don't get enough credit in society. And it is important to go through these trials and develop a thick skin and have the comfort to be someone who's different. Mm -hmm. Scott, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been a real pleasure. And thank you for being so honest and discussing everything with Uh, me.
1: Of course, I absolutely love you, Laura. I love, I can tell looking through that, Camera, there's something there's something on your inside that's pretty cool. So I appreciate you. Right back at you. Thanks very much, Scott. Uh-huh. Bye-bye.